Our American Heritage. I am Mark Turner, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning and to the present. And today we want to welcome back as our special guest, Karis Coker. So Karis, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Arch, for having me. In our program, Karis was speaking and talking to us about the background and history of the Bill of Rights and how we got to the Bill of Rights and the first 10 amendments to our Constitution. And in this program, Karis wants to speak to that. But uh, we just about 15 minutes ago, unfortunately, got a very sad email that Rush Limbaugh has passed away. So Rush was a great, great crusader for the conservative cause in America. And uh, I know that within the last year or so that Rush has professed Christ as a savior. And so we are saddened and the loss of Rush Limbaugh to the conservative movement in America. He has done a great deal to help continue to spread the conservative voice in America. So we are saddened by that, but we know that someone else will take up the mantle and continue the cause. So I hate to mention that, but that's very important to us. So Karis, share with us, please pick up where you would like to about the Bill of Rights and the background of it and how we got to the Bill of Rights in our own constitution. So the floor is yours. Please continue to share with us. Thank you, Arch. I wrapped up the last program speaking of the significance of that seems inadequate wording of the creator. A belief in the creator is essential to a proper understanding of the source of our rights being rooted in our being made in the image of God and thus worthy of that due regard by our fellow man. And the faith of our founding fathers being rooted in that theology and in that faith belief. It's interesting, I've heard it said that the book by far quoted most often at the Constitutional Convention was the Bible and uh, the references that the root and grounds of the fabric, the underpinning of any understanding of civil liberty is rooted in Bible teachings. No other religion on the face of the earth has provided their citizens with the great liberties that have been ours as Americans. And so far as we depart from or disregard our Father in heaven, so far are we in danger of losing that Bill of Rights. And I think it was John Adams that said that our government was formed for a virtuous and a religious people and it would not work unless they were so. And I just came across a quote from James Madison who was instrumental both in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, but I'd like to read this quote from him. He said, we have staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. And so it is. And I've often spoken of the Bill of Rights as the civil embodiment of the Ten Commandments. I mean, if you remove the Ten Commandments as being of divine origin, you have no basis for the protection of life, thou shalt not kill, of property, thou shalt not steal. The Bill of Rights has its roots in the Ten Commandments and the right or wrong of the ownership of property and the protection of your property and the guilt of someone who steals your property and so forth. 
but even going back then, a verse that's often been quoted among Christians, especially in the last 75 years, and even going back, I would say 100 years, my grandmother, who was born in 1899, expressed her concern to her children, my mother and others growing up, about subversive forces that concerned her in things that were taking place in uh, government. And that would be through the 50s and the 60s and, and so forth. But the verse in Second Chronicles 7:14 has often been quoted, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And I remember my wonder as I was reading through the book of the Chronicles and the Kings, and I read in the chapter prior to that, and I realized, you know, you can read something several times, and then one day it dawns on you the significance of a certain portion of Scripture. When Solomon dedicated the temple, he built an altar, an elevated altar, a platform, so that the people, the entire nation, could see that he was kneeling before Almighty God, acknowledging that his authority and his very life, his very existence was a gift from the creator, the maker, that he was accountable to this God for the manner in which he governed this people. And in that petition, he said, Lord, if the people sin and you bring this judgment, if they repent, will you deliver them? And he gave several different occasions, whether it was a drought or a floods or captivity or a pestilence. And then he uses this expression. He said, if the people go out to war against their enemies by the way you sent them and they pray toward this city which you've chosen, then hear from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. And I love that expression, maintain their cause, because when you look it up in a strong concordance, and I urge every Bible believer to have a strong concordance, you can grasp the fuller meaning of the words. But that really, that word, when you look into it, embodies all that's contained in our Bill of Rights. It encompasses arguing your case before a judge, equity, justice, liberty, maintain our cause. So maintain our cause from Solomon is, and David uses that expression also in the Psalms, but that's what we desire as Americans. But as Abraham Lincoln said, it's not so much whether or not God is on our side mm -hmm. as whether or not we are on his side. Yes, And yes. that's good for us to remember, yes. So yes. our Bill of Rights, we reviewed the Magna Carta of 1215. We reviewed the Petition of Right of 1628. We reviewed the Protectorate of 1640s through 50s. And frankly, under that Protectorate, most people are unaware there was more religious freedom under the parliamentary government at that time than ever in the history of the world <laughs> outside of the Commonwealth of Israel. If I may interject a question here, Karis, when yeah. with our Bill of Rights, what was the thinking behind adding the Ten Amendments to the Constitution and the purpose of adding these ten to the Constitution so quickly after we had established the Constitution? Very good question. It was on the adoption of the Constitution, as you know, there were three members 
of that convention who declined to sign because there was not a Bill of Rights added to it. But it was a subject brought up late in the convention, and there was understandably a discussion about whether or not anything not listed would be considered as uh, outside then the rank of protection. So there was understandable discussion, and I believe with all my heart that every one of the members of that convention was a defender of what we know as our Bill of Rights. The question was whether or not it should be included on the federal document. And when it went to the states, that became a chief topic of discussion in all the ratifying conventions. And particularly Virginia, when they voted to ratify the Constitution, they and several other states then presented a long list of desired amendments to the federal Constitution. Now it's interesting in the Virginia debates to whether or not to adopt the Constitution, Patrick Henry was the chief opponent of its adoption without those amendments, and James Madison was the chief defender of its adoption with those amendments not added. So they were the two who had the largest standoff, so to speak. It was adopted by a narrow margin, the Constitution that is, was adopted by a narrow margin, and the adequate number of states adopted the Constitution without them, but nearly every state sent in recommendations for amendments to address the need for a Bill of Rights. Now, James Madison, having opposed the addition of a Bill of Rights to the Constitution, then lost the election as Senator from Virginia because of Patrick Henry's influence. <laughs> so then he ran for the House of Representatives with the promise that if elected, he would do his best to secure the addition of a Bill of Rights to the Constitution. So he was elected, went to Congress, this was the first Congress assembled, March 4th, 1789, and that's the date that's sent on the document that was sent out in September of 1789 for the states to consider. And he took all those different lists that the various states had sent, and he narrowed them down and worded them. His intention was that they would be put into the text of the Constitution at the appropriate place. However, after their adoption, they were retained as a separate Bill of Rights at the end of the Constitution, and I'm so glad they were. I think they would have been lost if they had been embedded at the appropriate place in the document. So then 12 amendments in September of 1789 are sent out to the states for ratification as amendments. And I think it is wonderful and very significant, especially this year, to note that Coming up this November will be the 400th anniversary wow. of the very first Pilgrim Thanksgiving uh -huh. in 1621. And the very first national Thanksgiving under the Constitution was in 1789. And the, uh, when those first 12 proposed amendments were ratified, packaged, and ready to send to the states, the very next item of business in the House of Representatives was the introduction of a resolution requesting the President of the United States to proclaim a day of national thanksgiving. And it particularly hinged around the peaceful settlement of the government, the uh, overcoming of the challenges under the Articles with the Constitution, and now that the matter of the concerns of the absent Bill of Rights could be resolved, let's give thanks to God. And that was the major thrust then of the first National Thanksgiving in 1789. And, you know, I think most people 
overlook uh, the preamble to the those 12 amendments, which is very, very significant. And James Madison put these words there, and I won't read the entire thing, but he says, the conventions of a number of the states having at the time of their adopting the Constitution expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers, that is of the powers of the Constitution, that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added. And as extending the ground of public confidence in the government will best ensure the beneficent ends of its institution. And then these are the proposed amendments. And this was not to be an exclusive list. You know, most of us would be hard put to think of a right as Americans that's ours beyond what's listed in the first eight articles. Right, right. You know, but Article 9 and Article 10 are both based on the fact that there were other rights, inalienable rights of the mm -hmm. American citizens that were retained by the people besides these that are listed. And that itself merits consideration. I mean, we're grasping to hang on to the ones that are listed, and some of them are by a thread if they remain at all. And in view of the recent proposals for legislation and changes, and you know, to this end, there is a wonderful reprint of a volume from 1828 published by a man named Stansbury, and it was called An Elementary Catechism on the Constitution of the United States for the Use of the Schools. And it was reprinted in 1998 by some folks down in Maryland. And it's an excellent catechism on the Constitution. And the same folks compiled a collection of all the state ratifying documents and the rights that they proposed to be added as amendments. And that itself is a wonderful insight into it. But I would suggest these questions that are in that volume for our present generation. Do we want to change our form of government without ever having known or understood what it was in the first place? Can we trust those who habitually violate their oaths to the Constitution with the power to change it in any way they see fit? Do we dare allow changes in our Constitution before we educate the people not only as to its original meaning and intent, but also as to the significance and impact of the changes currently being advanced? Can we afford to ignore the only precedent in history for a peaceful transition, or we might say now, a return to a constitutional government under law? And why do those who are so urgent to change the Constitution virtually never occupy themselves with its promotion or teaching? Mm -hmm. People don't know what we're about to lose or what we're losing. And our Bill of Rights is something that the whole world has looked at with longing that they could have it in their own country. Our form of government, our Constitution, and our Bill of Rights has been used as a sample for the drafting of government since 1776 all over the world in many, many, many countries. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to hear a speaker who at that time was a docent at Mount Vernon, and he spoke at a Brandywine Battlefield Associates speaker series. and. What he spoke of Washington, he said, I determined I would not tell to the public anything I had not read in original documents, recognizing how things have been so distorted. But he said that at Mount Vernon, that there are people from all over the world who come and stand in that doorway with tears in their eyes, falling down their face for wonder at being in the very home 
of a man who was responsible and the leader for so much good for so many people. And as Washington himself said, that the fate of untold millions rested upon himself and the Continental Army. And then he felt that weight and that mantle once again on his shoulders when he undertook to preside over the Constitutional Convention. And then once again, when he was unanimously elected for the fourth and fifth time to be the president under this new government. What he has done, what our fathers have contributed to us. And, you know, evolution has kind of created a climate where the things that went before can no way measure up to. After all, it's the latest and greatest that's hit planet Earth, and we've got it all together, and we really don't need to look back. But, oh, we do. Oh, we do. Oh, we do. And in our first program, Garrett, what, one of the things that hit me when you were talking and going through the evolution of the rights from the Magna Carta all the way through our Bill of Rights is, one, these people knew their past and they knew, yes. they, they knew the documents. And you and I, as educators and historians, we see how quickly we are losing these Bill of Rights because so many people in our culture and our society and in our education want to simply just forget the Bill of Rights, forget what we've been through, forget our past, and have the latest and greatest in, and radically change who we are and what we are as a nation. Yes, yes, yes. I am uh, reminded of when Patrick Henry died, they found among his papers with his will he had taken the page he had torn out of the back of a law book to have something to write on and written down his Stamp Act Resolves of 1765. And oh, that story and the Liberty Trees would be a wonderful other story to tell. But he had written on the back of that about the violent opposition that ensued when he introduced those resolves in 1765. And that was the opening volley of the events that led to the independence of the United States. And he had written on the back of it about righteousness alone can exalt the nation. Reader, whosoever thou art, remember this, and in thy sphere practice virtue thyself and encourage it in others. And he said that without righteousness that we would be undone, that without virtue, and you know the Pennsylvania flag has that motto, virtue, mm-hmm. liberty, and independence. All that Pennsylvania would aspire to live up to that motto and what was it William Penn said that those who will not be ruled by God will be ruled by tyrants mm-hmm. there's no other way to maintain a government of a people who will not submit to the Ten Commandments and to the rule of God over their lives hey, Karis, uh, a, question, a question that I have been asked and if you would address it also uh, is the Bill of Rights the Ten, the ten Bill of Rights are they listed in an order of importance or just numbering them? Oh, you know, no. Are they horizontal no, or vertical? You know, I got questions a bit. I don't think if these rights are endowed by the creator and are inalienable, they equally stand of significance. And I would have to say that of all of them, the Second Amendment might be the most important simply because that without the right to defend your person, your property, your life, the others are null and void. But nevertheless, I would say that they're on equal footing and that they're not to be taken 
as one is more prominent than the other. Now, we in our day from the 60s on, it seems like the First Amendment has been almost the sole topic of discussion, but then it's right. been under assault. And frankly, the assaults on the First Amendment have led to a very quiet dismantling of the other. <laughs> mm -hmm. The others listed. And and each article, we call it the first ten amendments, but there's more than ten rights of the individual that are contained within these ten amendments. As you well know, the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, which that's very key, establishment of religion. It was not to favor one denomination over another. Right. It did not mean a disestablishment of religion. No. <laughs> um, you and I know what's going on in the educational system. Share with our listeners, please, how they would be able to and give them some pointers of how they are able to share the importance of the Bill of Rights with their children so that they can live their lives on the importance of them and then be able to pass them on to the next generation. Well, first of all, I think that as far as children are concerned, reading good, and by that I mean not cartoony, goofy biographies of the Founding Fathers. I think that's the best way to learn history and the underpinning of it is biographies of the Founders that are written for children. And there are some excellent ones out there, and I'd be glad to make some recommendations. And for then as you come up into the middle school and high school age groups, then biographies that go more in-depth about their lives and the issues and the circumstances that they face. But also, I would recommend there's a website called the Bill of Rights Institute, and I have some disagreements with them in, <laughs> in some things, but overall, I think they provide an excellent background, and there, there are many tools there. That's the Bill of Rights Institute online. And, you know, Eric and I, my husband and I, started the observance of the Bill of Rights Bicentennial, and the next year, we began an annual banquet on that anniversary, and we have tried to encourage people to, wherever they are, to have friends and family, meet at a restaurant, organize a banquet, or just simply invite friends over for a cup of coffee or chocolate. But read the Bill of Rights aloud. Consider them and have a purposeful prayer of thanksgiving to the Creator for these blessings that have been ours and ask for His help in their full restoration and our guidance into the future by his blessing and direction because we cannot recover these things in our time with if we think we're going to do this without god we have another thing of coming as my dad would say <laughs> how true and, and you know we understand that our rights are under assault our constitution is under assault from many many different directions so personally i want to thank you for what you are doing what you have done to continue this fight to hold May I mention one other thing? Please do. Please do. Um, I, frankly, this little booklet that we put out for the homeschoolers is an excellent summary laying a foundation of the documents and their significance. And I, I do think it's important to have like a baseline that you can, pegs that you can hang things on as you learn them to give you just a basic underpinning. And I would be happy to send copies of this to folks that would uh, want to request it. Well, would you share with our listeners again how they would be able to contact you and about the Bill of Rights organization that you're involved in? Through the email box? Yes. Yes. Uh, email at kocherCJ at gmx.com. That's kocherCJ at gmx.com. Or 
Bill of Rights Committee, Post Office Box 912, Concordville, C-O-N-C-O-R-D-V-I-L-L-E, Pennsylvania, 19331. Okay, thank you. So, listeners, we want to thank Harris for coming again today and sharing with us about the Bill of Rights and the significance of them and how we need to continue to fight to hold on to the Bill of Rights. And I'm encouraging if any of our listeners could ever hear Karis give a lecture, she is just a wealth of knowledge in all the speaking engagements she has had and will have in the future. So Karis, again, we want to thank you for coming and sharing with us about the Bill of Rights. Thank you very much, Arch. May God bless our United States. And, yeah, yes, and we're going to have you back for future programs because there's so many things that I would still like to talk to you about. So yes, so thank you for coming and sharing about the rights today. This is WFIL 1180 AM, Working for Your Liberty.